Welcome back, friends. Today, we have a guest I think you're really going to enjoy. I sat down to interview George Taylor, who told me that his career journey has been, quote, the weirdest career of anyone. You see, George started his career in the 80s at IBM, where he spent 14 years. He then moved on to spend 20 years at Fortune 100 heavy equipment company Caterpillar. And it's at Cat, where he worked his way up to VP and was named the company's first ever chief marketing officer, leading the enterprise through decades of challenges and digital transformation. But the unique part about George's career is that after almost 35 years in the technology and marketing industry, he made the courageous move in 2018 to take on the position of CEO at the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. With 43 million fans, rodeo is still one of the most underrated sports in this country. During this interview, George tells me about the branding, marketing, and content challenges the association faces and how he approached that with a different lens from his business background. George clearly lives the message that he quoted to me at the end of this interview when he says, whatever you do, do something you love in a place you love with people you love. And he continues to live that mantra. Shortly after our interview, George let me know he's moving on from the rodeo. I can't wait to see what's next for him. Regardless, I hope George's story is as inspiring for you as it's been for me. So here he is, George Taylor. Sounds like you've been on the road a little bit the past few days. It sounds like that's a big part of your job. Las Vegas. You just go between Vegas and Nashville and, and all Texas, the places. Yeah, <laughs> so all places country. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was reading a little bit about your transition, and it sounds like you and your wife always wanted to move out west. That was kind of part of the plan. You know, when we moved to Singapore with Caterpillar, we bought a place in Snowmass, Colorado. Okay. So it was really the only constant our kids had for 15 years. So. When we left Cat, I wanted to keep working, and I read a book that said, make sure whatever you do, you do something you love with people you love in a place you love, and that was really kind of what drove it. Good for you. Well, I'm going to ask you about that, but for our listeners who don't know, you and I know each other all the way back from your days when you were a Caterpillar, and I actually was just telling Shauna this story. I remember interviewing you when Samantha worked on the On Highway Truck Project, and that is one of my favorite projects of all time. I did a lot of the research for that, and you know, you guys let us travel. Gosh, I did like truck ride-alongs all through U.S. and Canada for like six weeks. It was such an awesome project. Yeah, I loved it. It was it was one of the great times in my career for sure. That's great. Well, why don't we start at the beginning? So I always like to start with you telling a little bit about your story, kind of how you came up in the world, and then maybe move a little bit into your career background. Yeah, pretty simple. Grew up in Morton, Illinois, of all places. My father was a bricklayer, just grew up really with Midwestern values, you know, faith and family and respect for our country and for those that serve it. And my dad really instilled in us the idea of working hard. Yeah. So that is really the foundation. That's great. I love that. Midwest values. That's what connects us all. So talk a little bit about, you know, coming up in the world, college. You started your career at IBM before you went to CAT. Tell us that story. Yeah, I I probably have the weirdest career of anybody. I always like to tell people I started in high technology and I'm going backwards. So I started with IBM right out of college. I was a computer science major of all things and really spent a lot of time there. I was 14 years at IBM, had 
moved around a little bit with them and loved it and had a great time there. It was really the Google of our time, if you will, my generation anyway. And so it was an amazing experience in terms of learning about leadership, working at a large Fortune 50 company and really enjoyed it. And many of those years that I was there, I was on the Caterpillar account and I was the client executive for Caterpillar globally when I joined Caterpillar, actually. So what drew you to Cat in the first place? IBM was going through really challenging times and they wanted us to move again. And we really wanted to stay in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And they had talked to us about moving to Asia, of all things, which in hindsight, we ended up there anyway. <laughs> but I had grown very close to some people at Caterpillar in serving them. And I don't know, one day my wife and I said, maybe we should think about working there. I talked to a lot of execs on the show that, you know, they stayed because they didn't want to travel globally. So totally get you there. But you ended up staying at Cat for 20 years, right? And ended as the CMO, which is amazing. Was that the first CMO role that Caterpillar had ever established? I think they had had some before, but it wasn't formally named as such. And why were you the right candidate for that, George? I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, coming from a computer science background, moving into marketing, that's a big shift. I did get my MBA, yeah. which also isn't a requirement for chief marketing officer, but I started in strategy and acquisitions group. Ken Zika ran that. And Ken was really my close friend when I was with IBM. I had great interactions with Ken when he was at Track Type Tractors. And then he was running this group around strategy and acquisitions. And I loved strategy and love the idea of how do you make strategy work. And so that was my entry point into Caterpillar. Well, I was telling Shauna way back in the day when I was interviewing you as a young account manager, you were just a smart guy. I think you were talking way over my head at the time. No, no. But I've even listened to some more recent interviews with you talking, and it's clear that you have a vision for your organization. You're a great leader, and I think you are a marketer at the heart. Talk a little bit about the phone call from PRCA and what made you jump into the rodeo world. Yeah, gosh. Like I said, I read this book called The Power of Who, written by Bob Bodine, who I've gotten to know well since this. But in that book, it really talks about the natural approach to things is to try to network with a bunch of people you don't know. Sure. And really what we should do is be talking to people that we know and that care about us and want to see us go do something different. And when Chris and I were talking about what that looked like, as you may remember, I also had our NASCAR program. Sure. But I'm also an avid sports fan. And I just kept telling Chris, gosh, if there was some way that we could leverage that into doing something possibly in the West, yeah, we would love to do that. And I I developed a friendship with Richard Childress and his team. So we just started thinking. I said, I would love to do something in sports. And literally two weeks later, I get a phone call from a headhunter. And she says, hey, how would you like to be involved with Pro Rodeo? And I said, really? <laughs> I said, I've been to a rodeo, you know. Through Caterpillar. I've been to the Calgary yeah. Stampede and all the yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> It was amazing. So 
I just said to her, listen, I literally know nothing about rodeo, but I know a lot about business. (laughs) And she said, well, there's a lot of cowboys there, but they don't have a lot of people that know about business. And that was the beginning, if you will. And we went through the interview process and we loved the people. Yeah. And, you know, went to be interviewed by the board of directors for the role. And they're all sitting there in their cowboy hats and but really genuine people. For my last interview, Chris actually came. They all tipped their hats to her, you know, when they met her. And she did a brilliant job talking to them. So it was it was really fun. The, The chairman called me on the way home and he said, hey, I got good news and bad news, George. And I said, yeah, what's that? He said, well, the good news is that we love your wife. She's really <laughs> special. Yeah. And he said, the bad news is we want to offer you the job. <laughs> and that was really kind of the beginning of the whole journey. And it has yes. been amazing and challenging and hard. And it's been, been really special. Well, I want to hear about all of that. Like I said in my email to you yesterday, I'm not a rodeo fan. Like I had to go research yeah. this, right? I've been <laughs> to a couple. So I'm sure it was a learning curve for you too. But when you came on board, talk a little bit about sort of how you even began to define your goals. Did you yeah. look at that through a marketing lens, a strategic lens? Like how do you know where you wanted to take the organization? You know, I think one of the most powerful things about leading an organization is getting team together to decide what needs to be done. It was strong financially, but the board of directors really wanted to see changes. And so I really leaned on the things I learned at Caterpillar strategy group and really walked our senior leadership team through the development of a strategy and understanding what was important. But I bet that's what was fun about it. You know, when I work with sort of heavy industry, mighty middle brands, that maybe marketing is foreign to them because they started as a product company or, you know, an engineering company. It's fun to introduce that and bring people along and sort of do that facilitation, right? Yeah. So we had met up in a hotel for three days and worked through what's our vision, what's our mission, you know, what are our values, they never had those before. That's so articulated. cool. And then what what were the critical success factors to get to where we wanted to go? And so it was really more of them telling me. And you facilitate and organizing. That's great. That's one of the things we talk a lot about is just that focus on leadership alignment, like getting everybody moving in the same direction before you start your marketing plan. One of the things you said on an interview that I was listening to to prepare for today was that you kind of shifted mindsets to believe that the fans of the rodeo were a hugely important target audience. Talk about that shift in relation to some of the other target audiences that you might have focused on. When I got here, everybody said it's a member-driven organization. Mm -hmm. And our members predominantly are cowboys. Yeah. So we have 5,000 cowboys that you know, all have a different opinion about what we should be doing. Sure. And to me, it would be a little bit like saying, while the members are important, you've got to really think about what the economic engine is for the organization. And if somebody doesn't buy a ticket to Mm. your entertainment, you're out of business. So selling to your customer's customer, right? Right. And so really started trying to reorient the organization. This is not a member-driven organization. It's a fan-driven organization. That's awesome. And 
it's for the benefit of the members. So it's a little bit like being a stockholder at Caterpillar is we have to serve our customers at Caterpillar in order to serve our shareholders. And if you ever start thinking you're serving the shareholder before you serve the customer, that's when things get out of whack. A little bit cattywampus. Exactly. So, yeah. So we we really that was a big change. And it still is. You know, I, I have some days a mad cowboy calls me <laughs> up and says, Hey, you work for me. And I say, Well, kind of, but I really work for what we're trying to do and and then indirectly that benefits you. Just like being an employee at a company. You know, it isn't all about you, it's about our customers. But the reason we want to focus on our customers is to better serve you. Yeah. So you're selling that outcome, that vision, really. And that was another thing I want to understand. So moving from a company like Caterpillar to essentially the leader of an association, you've got so many stakeholders you're trying to engage at all time. Talk about what it looks like to sort of live at that intersection and sort of influence all parties. You know, I, I find that it's not that different it, it, than Caterpillar. I mean, Caterpillar has shareholders, they have dealers, they have customers, and ours are just called different things. You know, so we have people who buy our tickets at all our rodeos. Those are our ultimate customers. We have rodeo committees. Okay. That in a sports analogy, I'd say that's like the ownership of the Dallas Cowboys. Those are our teams. Sure. And then we have contestants or cowboys that are much like the teams on a football team, you know. So a lot of those things are similar. Yeah. There's even like the Tiger Woods of the rodeo. I started looking that up. You have these superstars that you have to engage with, right? The entertainment business is interesting. We're in the office Monday through Wednesday or Thursday, and then we're out on the weekends because that's where it happens. And our cowboys, so Trevor Brazil has earned over $7 million as a cowboy and that doesn't count his sponsorships and those types of things, but he he's our Tiger Woods. But that was one of the things we talked a lot about is most people don't know Trevor Brazil's name. Right. And I didn't part, before so that, I started looking it up. Back to that marketing issue, right? Are we promoting it? Are we on television? Are we driving that content? Are we making people aware of his accomplishments? So that's back to that marketing perspective on how do we do that better when it's not inherently, you know, a cowboy tends to be more humble and, you know, the association doesn't want to raise one member above the other members. Sure. And so it's, there are things that fight against that, but it's really important for people yeah. to know who our stars are. I agree. One of the things I recall from the last time I had an opportunity to engage with you from a marketing perspective is really managing the emotions that came from your customers at that time, like excitement for new products. There was a lot of sadness for products that were going away. But what does that look like in the world of the rodeo? Like you said, you have a lot of like really impassioned people. How are they feeling? What do they need to hear from you as an association? I think the cowboys want to know they're on a bus that's going somewhere that will profit them. We don't have any hundred million dollar athletes, you know, it's not like major stick and ball sports where these guys do it, but every sport has some level of guys that are struggling to make it and guys that have made it. 
And the majority of your membership, in our case, are people that are struggling to make it. There's only 15 guys make it to national finals rodeo. So it's a small number that have a chance to do extraordinarily well. And then a lot of guys that are just working. Again, we consider them our stockholders. And we think about, is the stock appreciating? Are there dividends growing? All those types of things that we try to be able to communicate how we're growing that pot of dollars for them. I can see how you're shifting the organization into more of that business mindset because of that, right? So talk a little bit about your actual digital marketing strategy. So spent some time on your website, but I also read that you actually have a cowboy channel where you put this information out. So talk a little bit about your go-to-market. Yeah. So we looked at where the biggest pockets of growth were for sports properties. Mm -hmm. And there's things like tickets, which is fairly flat. Growth and ticket sales you know, for all teams are staying relatively flat. Merchandise sales, those are growing a little bit at a higher level. And then, you know, you have media is a big piece of most major sports. Well, we didn't have a television contract when I got here. And we had some limited exposure on CBS. I think the first year I was here, we had 10 shows on CBS, but we were paying them for the time and selling inventory and we paid for production cost. And so that was a real focus for us to begin to think about if the world is about content, we have great content, but nobody's seeing it. Sure. And fortunately, when our contract came up with CBS, we put together a ability for many people to look at. And Pat Gotch, who's the owner of Rural Media Group, approached us and he had this thing called the Cowboy Channel, but there wasn't a lot of cowboy content on it. They were running a lot of old reruns of Gunsmoke, as you used to say. (laughs) And so we formed a relationship with them that now we have a channel that's 24-7 focused on cowboy western way of life and in rodeo so that was a big piece of it but along with that was we hadn't invested in a lot of social media our web site was was needing refreshing and so we're we're in the middle of moving that forward and making some great progress quite frankly we have over a million followers now which is really a good step for us we have a really bright young lady who's leading that charge for us on the social media front. But our growth in the last two years is off the charts. That's so, amazing. Well, yeah. good for you. Well, you know, I imagine that leading this brand, you have such brand fans of the cowboy industry, right? And that's similar to Caterpillar, too, of seeing that brand love come through. Yeah, we have, and a lot of people probably don't realize it, 43 million fans, people that would call themselves fans of rodeo, but our biggest rodeos like Houston, there'll be 2 million people go through Houston over a 20-day period. Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo is over a million people. San Antonio's over a million. 
and then Calgary is huge. If anybody's been there, you know, it's again, another 2 million people rodeo. So it's amazing. If you're not around it, you don't realize how big it is. Yeah. What a cool way to spend your time too, George. I mean, I'm sure it's busy, the travel, but just being around the energy of all that. What did you guys do during COVID? We sanctioned approximately 700 rodeos across the country and the U.S. and Canada. And last year we were about 300. Wow. So the payouts for the Cowboys were down about 50%. But probably the most exciting thing, Las Vegas wasn't able to hold national finals rodeo. And we were able to, in partnership with Texas and our sponsors and our Cowboys, put on our national finals rodeo in Texas, in Arlington, at Globe Life Field, with a 90-day lead time. And normally we plan that event all year long. We sold out in 20 minutes, 10 performances, about 140,000 seats total. So it was an amazing thing. And really, we had a record year across every financial metric there was in the midst of COVID. We would have never lost. That's crazy. It was really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. What does that look like in terms of your team? You, you mentioned working with these committees and these partners, but how does, you know, are, are they primarily your team or do you have a, a, a pretty decent sized staff there? We have a staff of about 60 people here wow. Okay. our committees, like the Houston committee and San Antonio and a lot of small towns. You know, we have rodeos that range in purse from $5,000 to $2 million. And then national finals rodeo is $10 million rodeo. So it's a huge spread in terms of the different types of committees you work with, many volunteers. And probably one of the most exciting parts for me about rodeo is every rodeo committee is trying to make a difference in their community. So that's cool. I think Houston has given away over. $300 million in scholarships. That's amazing. San Antonio, I think right around 200 million. Right. Everybody's doing something either for disadvantaged children, the military. And it's a true difference of a sport that a big part of it is about what they're doing for their community. That's uh, so cool. Sport itself. So. Well, that's when leadership, you know, really, makes a difference. You feel like you're giving that generational give back, you know? So that's so cool. Do you consider yourself a cowboy now, George? Oh, no. I'm a (laughs) a poser still. But I, I certainly have tremendous respect, you know, for what that community does and just the values that it holds and and the hard work they put in, I'm sure. It's, it's It's truly amazing. Another big thing they do is they honor all our first responders, you know, and they've been doing that for a long time. We have military nights at at almost every rodeo. And I always like to say it's tears and cheers. It really makes you feel like you're making a difference. It's amazing. I love all of that. So 
So I'm going to transition a little bit here, moving you out of marketing into leadership. That's another big focus for me on this podcast. I've always thought, George, you may agree with this. To be a good marketer, you got to be a really brave leader because you got to take the organization places, you know, and sometimes that includes selling up, selling out, selling all around. You know this from Caterpillar. So talk a little bit about your leadership philosophies. You know, like I said, when I was sort of researching, I know a lot of people want to know what are the similarities and differences between your role at Cat and your role at the Rodeo. And you talked about things like producing change, leading a historical company forward, leading a leader, right? And that's a lot of the brands we serve is just like, they're already at the top of their game. Like what more can you do, right? But then again, you talk about keeping the focus on people. So dig into some of that. What have you learned in your time there that you know, you've carried forward? There's four Ps to leadership at the end of the day. And the first P is people. And if you can't bring people with you, you aren't going nowhere. But the second thing, once you have a group of people, you got to have a purpose. You've got to have a vision that allows those people to move with you to make a difference for the organization. And then for me, it's about trying to be positive. As a leader, you can't just beat people up all the time. You've got to try to encourage them. And again, things that we learn every day and we have great moments and we have terrible moments, at least I do, when I realize I could have performed better Yes, <laughs> in that respect. So, and then the last one is just to be present as a leader. And, you know, I think I fall victim to this a lot is you got to be around. And got, if you want to be able to influence people, they got to know who you are. They got to trust who you are. And you can't do that from your office just by sending emails. Totally. What have you learned about yourself as a leader through the years, you know, of all the personality profiling in the world? Like, <laughs> tell me a little bit, what are your strengths and weaknesses and how do you bring that into the job? I think my strength is passion for what I do is a big one. And I'd say my values as a person, wanting to treat people right and do people right. And I tend to be structured and linear probably and identifying a goal and then setting out a plan to get there. And probably all of those things are also a weakness. When exaggerated, most of our strengths, my passion and more control that at work than it is with the people you love the most a lot of times because you let your guard down. And, and so as a leader, it's when that passion, yeah, and, and, you know, you have those bad moments. It's, I don't like it. You know, I resonate with that so much. And that's true. That's what I always say. You know, your strengths are your weaknesses. It's just the other side of the coin. So (laughs) totally get that. Yeah. Do you have any like failures in your career that you look back and you go, gosh, I wish I would have done that differently. I learned a lot from that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a whole host of them. Probably the biggest failure for me is to never forget it's about the people. How do you strike that balance? I think of that intensity and of leadership and and yet have people feel like, man, if I get into a battle, I want George there with me, you know, kind of thing, as opposed to they want to shoot you in the back. Well, I love that you extend grace to ourselves first, and then we can give it to others. So that's good. Talk a little bit about future planning. So we've already shared a lot of great initiatives you guys have going, but as you look over the next two to three years for the organization, especially coming out the other side of COVID, like where do you want to take things? I think one of the interesting things for me so far anyway, we had an event in California, in Northern California, 
and it was the biggest sporting event since COVID. And we only had about 8,000 people a day there. But I think one of the things that I'm wondering about is, is will that return across the spectrum of, you know, our business? If, you know, you lose your customers because they're not comfortable sitting together anymore, that's a big issue. And so far, anyway, our crowds have been amazing. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, we had national finals rodeo at Globe Life Field, but it was all socially distanced. We could only sell out about that stadium capacity was 40,000, and we had about 14,000 allowable seats in our manifest. But I think that that's a big issue that we've got to be aware of. But the other one for us is what the impact of gaming and gambling mm. is on sports and okay. how that will move forward and how we feel about it, how our members feel about it, how our committees feel about it, because it's a new source of revenue that we've got to think about and be ready to take on. And probably the third one is really what will happen with the digital in our space? You know, how do we leverage digital aspects to drive fan engagement to higher levels? Everybody's sitting in the arena with a cell phone in their hand and doing different things. And so we're doing some experiments around how can we leverage just games that drive fan engagement, give us more opportunities for our sponsors to be in front of people. And Sure. Yeah. I read about that. You have an app. Was that right? You're- yeah, we our website, but there's gaming companies that do games for rodeo and we're developing some stuff right now that pits two guys against each other and you choose, you know, which one and then you can do it without gambling or you can do it with gambling. So trying to think through how do you keep something as simple as horses and bulls, yeah. you know, what do you do to gamify that for people? Well, I think that's a challenge of every marketer. You know, like I said, I'm not a gambler or a sports nut, but I, I sure a lot of people here at Samantha are. And even things like fantasy leagues, you know, are becoming yeah. so important. So lots of trends to follow. Yeah, for sure. And it's a lot of times you wonder if you're really prepared for it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one final question that I ask every single interviewee because it helps us sort of pass along the things you're wrestling with. What are some questions that you have that you'd like to hear some advice on? That's a great question. I think for me, part of that is really about the future. That's the thing I worry about the most in our time in the world where it's so polarized and you have, I don't know if the government is set up this way 
or if we as people are this way, but it seems like there's two sides, right? And it feels like the middle is being shoved to either side. And we believe a big part of our role is to unite people. But I just am, I just don't know where this stuff starts and ends. And yeah, I think you know, that's the us, question. How do we do that? Totally. At, you know, in your organization, but then as humans, we're, you know, I have a seven-year-old. And so, you know, just seeing that they don't have those factions raising up in the world, it's going to be interesting to see where the future generations go. I think another one for us is how will entertainment transition? You know, if you look at Netflix versus linear television, it's crazy. So we do have the Cowboy Channel Plus app where we stream a lot more rodeos than we would put on television. But I wonder how that space is going to evolve. Will streaming just be a different distribution method? And will it become more like television? Yeah. And will cable TV go away? You know, trying to understand those things and the technology trends and how they impact the experience. Well, we're going to have some media experts on this season. I think it is important because it's a complex space and it changes so regularly. And yet it's some of the biggest market budget dollars that you have to spend as a marketer. So hoping to bring some of those insights to bear. Well, George, thank you again. You were awesome. I so appreciate learning from you both as a marketer and leader. And um, I encourage everybody to check out your website. Go to a rodeo for Pete's sake. (laughs) I will. Hey, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I wish the best for all. All right. Great to see you, George. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Back in the day, I interviewed George Taylor when I was a young account manager at Samantle working on the on-highway truck account for Caterpillar with him and his team. So it was really great to have the opportunity to reconnect with him after all these years. I just love that no matter how or where George goes, he takes with him those strong Midwest values of faith, family, and respect for his country. And the lesson to all of us marketers out there is that no matter the business, it is so foundationally important to define our goals and get stakeholders aligned around that. Otherwise, like George said, you can have the best content out there, but it means nothing if no one sees it. To learn more about George, you can read his bio on our website at marketingsweats.com or check out prorodeo.org to see some of the great work the association is doing. And if you like what you hear today, subscribe to Marketing Sweats wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review while you're there. For now, good luck out there, marketers.